Hey, bl blame the guy. Blame the man. Okay? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just hope I'm able to do it justice, okay? <clears throat> I titled this sermon, My Own Understanding, huh? And that's what occurred to me as I was writing this sermon. I kept thinking this over and over. Trust in the Lord and, and don't lean on your own understanding, we're told. Trust and lean. Two words that for the average human being don't belong in the same sentence. Trust in yourself. I think that's the, the John Wayne mentality that we've been fed over the last several years, maybe even the last few generations. I can take care of things myself. I don't need anybody's help. <laughs> well, do not lean on your own understanding, we're told. Yet, lean in the Hebrew means rely, support oneself. Essentially, trust yourself. But this very first verse in our reading this morning says this. Trust in the Lord and don't trust in yourself. Take this a step further. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 100%. No backing down. No second thoughts. Give up trusting in yourself and trust in the Lord. Period. End of story. This is basically the long and the short of the beginning of our conversion to accepting and believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so it begins. We're so used to taking care of things for ourselves. Maybe we ask for advice for the occasional problem that we might have. Perhaps if parents and children have a close enough relationship, young people might go to their mom or dad. And especially when we become adults, we put so much pressure on ourselves to take care of our own families, to do everything right. We have to have the answers to all the questions in our life. But trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. Totally against the grain of our culture. Maybe even what we have learned or been taught throughout our lives. And yet how many times do we seek out a friend? Maybe at times we even seek professional help to, to guide us when we don't have answers. And all that we do, though, whatever it is, we might need assistance with. Answers to difficult situations, be it family, professionally, no matter what it might be. The Scriptures say we can and we should look to God and His will for us first. Everything that we need in life can be found in the Scriptures. Look at 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And if nobody else mentions these passages, you will hear this from me several times throughout this study of Proverbs, okay? But it says that all of Scripture, notice here, it says all, not part of it, not bits and pieces of it, but all of it is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Therein, I think, lies the key to Proverbs 3, verse 5. 
So that the servant of God can be ready to do what God tells him to do. Don't depend on your own wisdom or knowledge, for it may be flawed. Maybe it's going to be flawed. It's a guarantee. We're human. Now here's another thought concerning the first verse in our reading today. Nowhere does it say just put your partial trust in God and you'll be okay. All you got to do is just think good thoughts periodically and everything will be fine. The word trust in this verse here is likened to a soldier waiting for commands from his higher up. Do we have anybody in here that was in the military? Christopher, okay. I'm going to ask you a question. What would have happened had a commanding officer told you to do something, had given you a specific order, and you thought to yourself, you know, I'm not really in the mood for that today. I already got the answer right there. (laughs) What do you think would happen to you well, you don't voice that part. You just say, <laughs> <laughs> just, just suppose through your actions you just said, nah, not today, pal, not today. It wouldn't have come out good, would it? Probably for you or the rest of your uh, fellow soldiers in that, in that particular group. It's the same principle here in verse 5. Fully trust in God. Fully trust in God. Not pick and choose or or even choose to reject or even worse, to neglect or purposely, we might say, thumb your nose at what God tells us to do. I can't put this any plainer. I can't put it any more directly. Now, let's face it. We will never, no matter how hard we try, we will never perfectly trust in the Lord. We just cannot do it. Again, because we are broken jars of clay, we simply cannot do things perfectly well when it comes to trusting in our Lord. I think what we have to learn from verse 5 is that we are to trust to the best of our ability in our Lord. We're not to reject Him, in other words. Now, by trusting in the Lord, either by listening to His Word to us in the Scriptures or by seeking wise counsel from someone that you trust to be godly in their thinking, you're not seeking help from from someone or something that is not tried and true. God's Word is timeless. I think we understand that. But how about about your preacher or an elder or someone that you know and trust that you have observed that stays in God's Word? You trust them. Because you know that they have trusted in God's Word themselves. Would you go to someone and ask them how to build a house when they didn't even know how to use a hammer? Certainly not. You'd go to someone who has had experience in building and they themselves have learned how to build a house that will stand a long, long time. You can trust them because you know that they are good on their Word. You do the same when seeking advice or counsel in your life in the important things. Go to someone who's been there, who knows how to handle the situation, and himself or herself has learned to trust in the Lord. You've seen it. You've seen their lives and how they do. We could talk a lot longer on this verse alone, but we need to get, move along here to get a complete thought on this passage, verses 5 through 8. Did I read that? I did, didn't I? Okay. 
My mind is... Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Really enforces what we hear in verse 5, doesn't it? I read, I read an appropriate statement that I want to share with you concerning the first part of verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This statement that I read says, it says, ask counsel of his mouth. Aim at his glory. Be ever more in the sense of his presence and in the light of his countenance. It's another sermon in that statement alone, I think. Basically, it's saying, seek his will and he will show you the way. Matthew Henry said it this way. Those that put themselves under a divine guidance shall always have the benefit of it. Shall always have the benefit of that guidance. God will give them that wisdom which is profitable to direct so that they will not be turned aside to the bypaths of sin. If you look at how Solomon approached this question, how can I know the will of God? He answered that question with the statement of these two verses. When we do these things, we can trust that God will direct our path and that's how he puts it here. What a simple thought, and yet it's so powerful. Listen to God. He will show you the way. Verses 7 and 8 carry on with more powerful thinking that, that do nothing more than reinforce verses 5 and 6. Be not wise in your own eyes. Boy, is that one going to hurt. You mean to tell me I may not be as smart as I think I am? If you look at the Hebrew again for the definition of the word wise, it's going to mean one who believes in his own intelligence or in his own skills. There are times when we begin to believe our own press, don't we? People keep telling you how smart you are, how wise you are. How you know so much. And you know what? If you hear it long enough, you start believing it, don't you? You think, well, maybe they're right. I am a pretty smart fellow, you know? A lot smarter than most people I know. And when someone comes along and not only tells you that you're not so smart, or worse yet, proves it to you, it hurts a lot, doesn't it? I think the basis of verse 7 can start with a bit of a warning. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't buy into what people are trying to do to you. Puff you up. Do not become so impressed with your own wisdom and know-how that you lose sight of who it was that blessed you with all of that talent in the first place. Being wise in your own eyes is almost the same thing as leaning on your own understanding, isn't it? In essence here, don't think you are smarter or wiser than God. It ain't never going to happen. I mean, fathers are going to have that kind of conversation with a son or a mom with their daughter. Perhaps not enough would be the right answer on that one. Second half of verse 7, here's another one short statement that can make the difference in one person's life. Doesn't have to be a young person. 
could be a, anybody of any age. There are no job requirements on this statement. By that, I mean you can tell anyone at any age this statement. It might be your pastor and might, might need to hear those words. An elder might need to hear these words at times. But it's very simple. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Boy, if that's not words to live by. Those words could fit anyone's life at any one point in time. And if you don't think that is the case in your particular instance, you are mistaken. The next few words here that I, I say here have been discussed from this pulpit before. It's uh, fear of the Lord. Three very simple words. Very important we understand the word fear. In the Hebrew, again, in this particular case, to fear means to respect. Could mean to be afraid, however. If you look at uh, Genesis 3.10, Adam told God that he heard God in the garden and was afraid. Afraid. Fearful in this case. Adam was afraid of what God could do to him. And after all, God had made Adam. And I, I think Adam kind of understood that. My guess is, is Adam had seen firsthand the power that God had displayed previously as creator of everything. Now, granted, Adam came along after much what was going to be created had been already. But I'm sure through conversation that he and God had had in the cool of the evening, Adam had gotten the gist of the power and control that God had on everything. But I think Adam had developed a tremendous respect for who God was as well. He feared God in the, in, the, in the sense of respecting Him for who He was, and that was creator of all things. God had never give Adam, had given Adam any reason to be afraid of God. You ever thought about that? God had never given Adam any reason to be afraid of him. That, I think, was totally on Adam. Particularly after he knew he had disobeyed God and knew what God could potentially do to Adam in return. The concept of that fear was in man's mind, of course, with help from Satan. Looking at some parents today and in years past, many have mistakenly believed that if they physically abuse, mentally intimidate even spiritually harm in some way or another, they will instill in their children the quote-unquote fear of the Lord. It's not a fear as a state of respect. It's making someone younger, smaller, in some way they're maybe deemed inferior to yourself, in your mind, not theirs. And if that concept is instilled in the other person, you will have their respect. Treating others humanly, fairly, relationally, if that's a word, <laughs> kindly, as you would want to be treated, you'll create a state of respect. Mutual respect, mind you, as it should be. They may have to lay out some rules or guidelines for your relationship to work at maximum capacity, but respect on both sides will grow in that sense. Now, if these rules or guidelines are broken 
or are not followed in some way or another, fear can occur. But that fear, more oftentimes than not, is is self-perceived. It's not generally instilled by the one who sets the rules, though it could have been put that way, I guess. Look at parents in our culture. A parent who tries to rule with an iron grip, we used to call it, runs the risk of alienating his children by using force to overlord his household. It could be a mom or a dad. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Brute force to gain respect in the house may not be the right way of going about it. In fact, in my opinion, it's not the right way to go about it. No one should live in fear because of potential repercussions that can leave mind and body scarred. All for the sake of discipline. We should fear in the form of respect. It's a better way of life for all concerned. Respect parents for who they are. Mom and dad, the leaders of the household. Be hard on yourself because you've made a mistake. Because you broke a house rule. Because you were taught better than that. But you shouldn't expect harsh physical or mental punishment. Not in my opinion, at least. Y'all can disagree with me if you choose, and that's fine. Again, look at Adam. He knew he and Eve had messed up, okay? They were afraid, all right. What he told God was probably true. He was scared, not so much of God's presence, but for the repercussions that would ensue after they had broken the one rule that God had given them to follow. Would Adam probably have respected God after breaking the rule? I would imagine so. It was his own sin that caused his fear. He would have had, in all likelihood, been angry with himself for ever having let himself get put into that position in the first place. But nothing that God did. Back to the second half of verse 7. Fear the Lord. Is that to be scared of the Lord? No. It's to respect the Lord for who he is, just like Adam started out. On top of that, had God relented, had God not followed through with this, the outcome that he had promised if this one rule was broken, had he let his creation talk him out of the punishment that had already been deemed to have, take, to have to take place, had they broken that one rule, respect for God would have been totally lost. Man would have come to believe that they could break that rule any time they so chose. And believe me, the second time you sin. It's a whole lot easier to commit that sin again, isn't it? Especially when you know the fear of repercussion or or as for the person who has created that process, you don't have to worry about them so much, do you? There is as much respect for the process as for the person who created that process. Remember that. Fear the Lord. Not be scared or afraid of the Lord but respect Him for who He is, God our Father. Here's the best part of this fear of the Lord statement. Avoid evil. Turn away from evil. Now, how's that for a simple method of not worrying about being afraid? Don't do evil, you don't have to worry about it, right? I read an example that might help to explain verses 5 through 7 and what they should mean to us. In pregnancy, we know what an um, um, 
umbilical cord is attached to both mother and child, right? What's the umbilical cord for? Well, maybe with some very active children in the womb, some women might say to keep that little one from flying away. I don't know. Way of keeping the child tethered in there, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. I kid, I, I don't really know. I'm just joking here. Nor does any other male in this room, for that matter, know what that feels like. And I say bless you ladies for all that you do. Anyway, the cord is the means by which nutrients, the necessities of life for the baby, are pipelined, if you will, from the mother to the growing child. Without that means of nutrition, no child would survive. Think of verses 5 through 7 then as an umbilical cord for each of us. By accepting the nourishment that these verses give us, we are fed and nourished and we are able to grow as children of God. As we grow in the ways that the Lord has provided for us, we then are drawn ever closer to God. We then can look to God for our sustenance daily, all the days of our lives. Now, you may have thought old elder came up with a good analogy there, but it wasn't me. If you look at what our next verse says, that'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If you follow verses 5 through 7, flesh here in the Hebrew means umbilical cord. How about that? Could even go with, with navel here, okay? Every one of us except Adam and I guess arguably Eve. I never really checked with her. We're created with navels, weren't we? Why? For the very reason that I just gave, for nourishment. Now, for various reasons, the umbilical cord will give us all the nourishment we need for that time process, will it not? But after we're born, feeding us becomes another set of circumstances, doesn't it? Thus, verses 5 through 7 of Proverbs 3 becomes a greater reason to follow this so that we might be fed from God through His Word. He continues that feeding process. That's a continuous feeding for the rest of our days while we're here upon this earth. Look at the further, uh, at the refreshment to the bones. Bones have marrow in them, don't they? What's the marrow for? It's not to keep the bones from collapsing or anything. It's to help keep our bones from, from becoming brittle and breaking apart. Ever had a broken fun, a bone? Not a lot of fun, is it? Quite painful. This marrow helps keep our bones healthy, healthy so that we are less likely to break our bones. Marrow supports and strengthens our bones. And of course, our bones give us support and strength so that our bodies function properly. Basically, the marrow is in us for the strength, energy, and even salvation of our physical beings. No small task there, is it? So let's look at the overall meaning of, verse, of these four verses in closing. We should pursue guidance and counsel from God through the word that He's given us. Seeking Christ-centered assistance is in that same boat, okay? Bottom line, we should seek God in all that we do and avoid evil in the process. Because that will give us what we need to navigate this life so that we might have the life to come through Him. If we don't do that, evil awaits us. And it's a slippery slope 
from their own. Even if we pursue wisdom from God, certainly we're going to fall short many times because we think we know better than God. And we will, in essence, say thanks, but no thanks to Him when we read or hear something that goes against what we want to do in His will. Leaning on our own understanding. See how I brought that in? However, we as followers of Jesus, as members of Hill City Church, as visitors of this congregation, as the church of Jesus Christ, know this. Our formula for success, for us individually, as well as corporately in the overall body of Christ, will be far, far greater if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, if we don't lean on our own understanding, if in all ways we acknowledge Him, if we don't think too highly of our own thinking, if we fear the Lord and turn away from evil, He will make our paths straight. He will bring healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. That, brothers and sisters is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good good news of God's word from beginning to end. Live in its peace today and every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful message. Words of simplicity, and yet they, they escape us so often. So would you bless us with a greater understanding, a greater desire to hear your word. As you nourish us each day through that word, Lord, continue to feed us. Continue to strengthen us and guide us, we ask you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.